Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, we're getting in shape and going back in the day. Most people never even come close to optimizing their human potential because their training is not ideal. Our body really doesn't know if we did three sets of 12 or if we did 20 reps or if we did 10 reps. All it knows is quality tension. And so instead of rushing through the, the exercises, rushing through the repetitions, one of the best things individuals can do is to just slow things down. You know, I think that's, that's the key is the basics are still the basics. The fundamental principles, the foundational elements that have produced success for decades are still kind of the go-to methods. And if we deviate too far from that, I think that's where we start running into issues. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So recently I have realized that I am a shell of what I once was. Physically speaking, I can barely bend over without my knees hurting. I can't catch up to my four-year-old. And I'm a shell in the sense that I'm a much bigger shell, like 40 pounds bigger shell. So trying to get back into some decent kind of shape and looking at different websites and watching things, it seems like all the advice is contradictory. You're supposed to do this. No, you should never do that. You're supposed to really be doing this. And it seems like this endless back and forth about what really works. So we wanted to take this episode and find out, all right, what really works? Our first guest is an expert in terms of what really works for exercise and nutrition. He has a PhD in kinesiology and is the founder of Advanced Human Performance, where he trains everybody from regular people to professional athletes. This is Dr. Joel Seedman. When you look at exercise, basically, what are people doing wrong? Oh, that's a good question right there. So I think one of the main things that people, I wouldn't say do wrong, but maybe they just don't have the education and the, the knowledge from you know mainstream fitness is they tend to rush through their workouts. They tend to think that you know, if they get the quantity in, if they get the, you know, number of sets in, if they get the particular amount of volume in, say, you know, four sets of 10 or three sets of 12 on an exercise, that they're, they're completing the necessary workout and they're creating the proper stimulus and they're going to get the results they want. And unfortunately, you know, the muscles and the, and the body and our physiology, um, it's, it's, it's not that simple when it comes to, you know, how our muscles and how our body responds and the stimulus that we create. Our body really doesn't know if we did three sets of 12 or if we did 20 reps or if we did 10 reps. All it knows is quality tension. And so instead of rushing through the, the exercises, rushing through the repetitions, one of the best things individuals can do is to just slow things down, really focus on creating a, a smooth, controlled lifting tempo, taking out the momentum and, and feeling those muscles really do their job and trying to target the muscles that they're they're intending to hit instead of just kind of mindlessly going through the exercises so you know i, I just what we've kind of heard for years now from from bodybuilders really even back in, in arnold's day is you know squeeze the muscle feel those muscles work don't just mindlessly go through the exercises is it as simple as if if i feel like i did something i did something you know it is to an extent when it comes to caloric expenditure and just trying to you know, kind of burn calories, so to speak. It is, however, when we're trying to change our body composition substantially, that does require uh, additional muscle growth, whether you're a female or, or a male or, you know, general populations. In increasing our lean body tissue, our lean body mass is one of the best things that we can do for health, for injury prevention, for increasing our, our metabolic rate at resting and during working conditions. So when it comes to actually stimulating 
that, that hypertrophy or that muscle growth mechanism, um, it does require higher quality of work for the most part, unless you're kind of a genetic freak thing or your muscles can respond to a, a lot of different stimuli. I mean, when somebody kind of approaches it, is it a case where I do three sets of 10, but if I did four sets of 10, I would be completely different. Like, do you have to just take it that extra little bit or like, can you screw it up basically? The, the answer to that is no, you really can't. There's a lot of research on different training protocols, what the ideal rep range is, what the ideal number of sets is. And there's really no conclusive empirical evidence suggesting that one particular rep range or set range is optimal over another. In fact, they've done some research showing that if the intensity is high enough, if the quality is high enough, uh, that one set of a really effective movement can actually produce very similar, usually not quite as effective, but it can produce similar results to two or three sets or even four sets of an exercise. Um, so it's, it's not like, oh, you know, if I do one set, I'm only going to get 30%. If I do two sets, I'm going to get 50, three sets, 75%. And then to get 100% of the, the benefits, I have to hit four sets. Actually, it's about 80 to 90% of the benefits can be reached with one really hard set. And then, you know, you do a second or third high-quality set, you get the rest out of it. If you've done high-quality and you're, you're taking everything controlled, you're not using a lot of momentum, if you're really focusing on that muscle-mind connection and your technique is proper – Four sets, usually for an exercise, is too much. Two or three really good sets is going to be more beneficial for most individuals, provided their quality is high. From a kinesiology kind of perspective, do we pretty much have the body figured out? Like, do we know how it works? Wow, that is such a, a um, deep question right there. It would seem simple, and I, I would say, um, on one hand, We've learned a lot the last 10 years in kinesiology. Exercise science is kind of a new field, relatively speaking, to a lot of other fields like, you know, medicine and, you know, biology and biochemistry and all that. Um, so it's really, really the last, you know, few decades, exercise science has kind of emerged and, and we've continued to learn a lot. But at the same time, because it's kind of new and it's, it's still in its relative infancy stages, I would uh, argue there's still so much that we don't know. And, and even the research that comes out, there's so much mixed research. There's, there's a lot of conflicting data and, and it kind of creates this confusion in the industry where, you know, some people say, Oh, well there's, you know, all this research showing that, for example, I always like to use the squat analogy because that's, that's a big one. That's one that I, I'm known for creating a little bit of controversy over, um, you know, there's some research out there that shows that astrograph squatting or squatting as deep as you can with maximal range of motion is suggested or beneficial. And then there's another group of research that shows that, that that's not the case, that actually squatting to 90 degrees or parallel is, in fact, the best way to do it. So you, you kind of have these mixed uh, sides of things, and you really have to look deeply at the research to kind of see, hey, why did, why do we have these conflicting views? And this is this is for many different topics. And then you have to say, okay, why is this happening? And you have to examine the research. And you can usually kind of figure out which side is, is ideal, but you have to examine it pretty intently. So I, I think we have so much to learn in the field of kinesiology. It's exciting because, you know, it's, it's, we still uh, have a lot of uh, potential growth. Like when you look at how much we know about the body, one is – absolutely nothing 10 is we've got this thing locked down figured out like where do you think we are right now Ooh, i would say a four or a five and I, I think we have just enough knowledge that um if we don't use it just right it can actually put us in a little bit of jeopardy and we can we can abuse it because um and I think, you know, back to even the squat analogy, you have a lot of people taking some of this information and they use it and they, they destroy their joints and they have to get surgery. And, it's, you know, it's, and people are, you know, will say, oh, well, I heard this from, you know, mainstream fitness or from fitness experts or fitness gurus and the research substantiated it. But now my, my knees are shot, my, nip, my, my hips hurt, my low back is fried. What's going on here? So we do have to be very careful in, in taking the research and saying, well, Based on some of these studies, it would suggest that this might be a potential potential way to do something. But um, yeah, I, I would say a four or five, and I would say even the same thing for nutrition because it's funny. Every few years, there's, there's these nutrition recommendations in the industry, and then several years later, we see different recommendations that 
not only disagree, but actually recommend the exact opposite. It's kind of a funny uh, parody in the field, but it's actually similar in the field of kinesiology too. So I think we have to be careful of, uh, you know, realizing that we still have a lot of, of work to do and a lot of research to be done. Even though that, you know, that, that, that kind of high end necessarily seems to be changing all the time. Are the basics still the basics? Like the basic stuff works, right? Like you want to lose weight, eat less calories. You want to get stronger, lift weights. Like are the basics still the basics or does even that change? You know, I think that's that's the key is the basics are still the basics. The fundamental principles, the foundational elements that have produced success for decades are still kind of the go-to methods. And if we deviate too far from that, I think that's where we start running into issues. And, and you know, some of these kind of extreme diets that we see or these extreme training protocols or these really exaggerated uh, kind of methods that we've seen in, in really unique programs. It's like, okay, this is deviating so far now. And, and maybe, it, you know, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be purely old school and look simple. It just has to rely on kind of foundational elements of the, the practical sciences. You know, you have to look at basic elements of you know, muscle physiology, for example, and human physiology, things that we've known now for, for decades, even possibly, uh, you know, close to a century now, things in the field of biomechanics that relate to physics, which we've known for, for decades, and if not centuries now, uh, things dealing with neuromuscular physiology and, and uh, neurology. And then we have to say, okay, now let's take some of the current research and compare and contrast it to what we know to be true about some of those foundational elements. And if they match up, I think we're, we're good to go. If they, they really contradict each other, then I think we, we run into issues. So I think you nailed it on the head. I think, you know, we do have to stick to the basics. We can't deviate too far, but that doesn't mean we can't gradually improve, improve on the basics as long as we don't go too far away from them. You know, are, are people's bodies really that different? Like, do they really respond that differently to certain things, or is it more of a mindset kind of thing? That's, a, that's an awesome question. This is, this is a topic of much debate in the industry um, and among strength coaches and practical uh, you know, kinesiologists. And I would argue that the human body from person to person is very, very similar. And you, you'll have different fitness experts and different researchers say, well, everybody's different. There's individual differences individual differences with anthropometrics and, and joints and, you know, our uh, uh, anatomy, our structural anatomy and, you know, the way we, we function. You know, I mean, some people are more fast twitch, some people are more slow twitch, some people are more carb sensitive, some people are, are you know, have great insulin sensitivity where they handle carbs really well. Um, from what I've seen in my, um, I guess, going on 17 years now in this industry is that generally speaking, the human body is the human body and you know, you kind of maintain 90% of what you do with clients and with individuals and athletes is actually going to be very similar. And if you start to have to, you know, adapt it so much where it's like, oh my gosh, this is totally different for this person compared to, you know, this other client of mine, it's like, whoa, 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 why is it that much different? The human body is still the human body. Functional anatomy is still functional anatomy. Physiology is still physiology. Yes, there are some subtle individual differences, but they're much much more subtle, as I said, uh, and, and much smaller than what a lot of people in the field suggest. You know, they, some people will say, oh, well, this person should only squat to, you know, 90 degrees, but this person, because they can, they should squat, you know, ass to grass. And I think that's one of the things that we have to watch out for. Just because we can do something doesn't mean it's optimal. And just because it's possible doesn't mean it's ideal. We have to kind of find and hone in on, on what's optimal for the human body. And when we do that, we see that it is very, very similar across individuals, particularly when it comes to strength training and even even nutrition to a, to a certain degree. What's your basic kind of philosophy when you look at exercise and nutrition? Well, I, I guess I can touch on the more simple one first, which would be nutrition. Um, I like to recommend uh, foods to clients that, that pretty much have not been processed or been very minimally processed. Um, I, I usually like to recommend recommend a slightly higher protein diet but not too high you see some pretty extreme recommendations out there so typically one gram per per lean pound of body weight or per pound depending on how lean the individual is and then moderate carbs you see also uh, a lot of 
cause congestion is, you know, taking the carbs down to a very bare minimum and, and then some people not even touching carbs. I like to go moderate on the carbs and then even on the fats, kind of moderate. So I like to play things a little bit more conservative because as we've seen with these huge fad diets and, and even some of the research is so mixed and conflicting. And as soon as we have to start eliminating the food or really going overboard on a certain food and, and hardly touching another food or, or you know, just barely even uh, eating it. I think that those extremes are where we start running into issues. Um, strength training, on the other hand, my approach is, is probably a little bit different than, than most. I really like to focus on biomechanics and muscle function and, and quality of movement. And when we lock that in, when we teach a person how to move correctly, how to fire their muscles properly and activate them uh, in, in their proper way, that's when we start opening up all these doors. That's when we start you know, we can, we can get a lot more advanced. We can get a lot more creative with them. We can push them. We can really progress them quickly because their muscles are performing their job well when it comes to anything from, you know, increasing muscle mass. If the muscle's not activating properly, it's very, you know, you really can't grow muscle if it first hasn't been activated. And then even from a health and longevity standpoint and, and joint health, if the muscles are not doing their job properly, which a lot of people you know, they, they run into these issues where they've been training six months, a year, two years, and their, their bodies are banged up, their shoulders hurt, their knees hurt, their hips hurt, and a lot of that comes down to technique and biomechanics. So if we can if we can fix biomechanics and really correct them and, and perfect them as close as we can in a realistic fashion, it enables us to train long-term without running into these, you know, plateaus or running into these obstacles of you know, having our joints hurt, having to take multiple steps back because we're getting injured. So for me, the biomechanics and the, the, the movement patterns and learning how to move correctly is a key foundational aspect of things. How do you kind of create that, that mobility and, and being able to move correctly? Because it yeah. seems like a lot of, you know, exercises in themselves seem to like lock into the machine, so to speak. Exactly. No, it does. And, and I think, you know, machines are great, and a lot of people do use machines. I have nothing against machines, provided that they're biomechanically sound, which a lot of them are not. And it does lock you into a specific path, which is why I prefer using free weights for the most part, because it forces the individual to have to basically create a strong motor program in their central nervous system. Um, for example, uh, kind of go back to the squat here. If someone does not know how to squat properly, chances are those issues can be seen and observed in their basic walking gait, in their basic movement, in their, in their posture, the way they pick things up off the ground. If they're playing a sport, we can probably see it, how it, it transfers into their running form, into their jumping. So if we can correct their movement with strength training, with basic foundational uh, you know, movement patterns such as the squat, and let's say they have knee collapse or their ankles collapse, they don't know how to load their hips. Well, if we can correct it on the squat, we see it start to trickle into – everyday life and, and as well as competition and playing on the field for sports. You know, if, if we can teach them how to fire their hips during a squat, it transfers and translates into other things, into other movement patterns because it's, it's, it's foundational elements. That's why it's so important that we take foundational movements such as squats, hinges, lunges, presses, rows, overhead presses, pull downs, and, and basically perfect the movement on that. And I'm a big believer and not using excessive range of motion, but using optimal range of motion. A lot of people think that, you know, maximal range of motion and my maximal mobility is the goal. It's really not. And just like everything in physiology, there's a balance. We never want too much or too little of anything. We always want the optimal amount. Can you create an athlete? I mean, can you, can you like take somebody and really create them into an athlete? Or are you just basically improving somebody? Ooh, that's a good question. I think there's a, there's a range here. I think when it comes to high-level performance, I think there is an element of genetics that have to be in place because we know now that, yes, we can cause muscle fibers to adapt. They can become more fast twitch and less slow twitch. And, you know, we can improve, um, you know, motor unit recruitment. We can, we can improve, uh, you know, intramuscular coordination. We can improve all these different elements of performance, but there has to be certain genetic elements in place. Now, with that said, most people never even come close to optimizing their human potential because their training is not ideal. Um, and so if you take an athlete who, let's say they have decent genetics, but not great genetics, decent, and you give them incredible training and they do everything to the T and they follow you, you know, exactly what you lay out for them. 
chances are they may actually be able to play at a pretty high level provided they continue to, to stay consistent with their training. Now, you could also have a, an individual who has incredible genes and just everything kind of fell into place with their genetic pool and their DNA, but if they don't have the right training, uh, you know, things oftentimes don't worry out for them. We see this with, with athletes in, in every sport. You know, you have these people who should have been superstars and they never pan out because they didn't put the, the correct work in. Then you have other athletes who genetically were not as gifted, were not as blessed, and they actually have great success because their training was so much better. Um, I think that the, the flip side of that, too, is if you take someone who just has really poor genetics, uh, and, and, you know, I know it's probably not the most politically correct thing to say, but they just didn't get blessed with the optimal gene pool with that. Uh, they're not, you know, you can, you can train them to, to, the, to the hilt, and they still aren't going to be able to maybe be that high-level athlete. Will they be athletic enough to be able to have fun with their sport and do it recreationally without injury? Yes, 100%. So that's a good question. How do you kind of evaluate both you and both researchers in the field? Like, how do you evaluate what works necessarily? Are you, like, measuring the size of the muscle, the weight that's lifted? Like, how do you tell what is working? Yeah, um, I, that's, that's such a complex uh, uh, answer to that uh, seemingly simple question. But there's so many assessment methods out there. There, there are, um, you know, you got strength coaches that will spend hours assessing folks. I used to actually be one of those. I used to do a lot of assessments, say, hey, we're going to go through all these different muscle screening processes and, and really look at your movement and analyze it and go over it deeply before we start training. And what I realized is that the need to assess and to, to overly assess, I should say, because basic assessment is good. The need to overly assess is oftentimes a little bit unnecessary. If we teach the person how to, to move properly, okay, let's say, let's say they come in they have, you know, really bad hip pain and knee pain, you know, we could spend hours and hours, if not days, analyzing them and assessing the daylights out of them and sending them to 20 different, you know, experts and getting 20 different uh, results, you know, the recommendations would be, and you could just drive yourself nuts with that and they could still walk away having no solution, still having the same amount of pain, still not having the ability to have high level of function and do their athletic events they want. But in contrast, we could say, hey, um, let's just take a real quick look at your movement here and kind of see some underlying things. And then once we just kind of take a blank slate, teach them how to fire their muscles properly, teach them how to, to set their, their biomechanics, to set their hips, to work on their alignment, to get their feet locked in, to, to create those neutral positions. Then we have them start moving and firing their muscles. And literally within a sometimes a session, we can start to see some improvements where the client is saying, wow. My, my, my hips feel better. My knees don't hurt as much. I'm starting to see improvements. Like it feels so much better. I can squat now without having pain. You know, I've never been able to squat or at least the last five years haven't been able to squat without pain. And now they can do that and they start buying into it and they start to see those immediate improvements. So I think for me, that's one of the, the biggest kind of measures and indicators that I look at is the level of function, the level of pain and, and how, you know, it feels for the, for the client because the, the, our, our sense of feel is so important. It's so underrated and the feedback that clients give you from that sense of feel, that proprioceptive feedback is, is so important. I was looking at your int Instagram, which is fantastic. And some of the exercises, like I've never even seen that before. Do, do I, <laughs> do I need to be doing that kind of stuff or can I just like, can I just get by on the elliptical machine? <laughs> nice, nice. That's a good question. No, I do put up a lot of uh, unique exercises, and I always say that, and I get a lot of haters out there who are like, oh, this is ridiculous. Why don't you do the basics? It's like, hey, I often state and I often put in my post that 80%, about 80% of what I do with my athletes, my clients, and even myself, are the basic foundational movements and nothing too crazy. And then the other 20%, we do get a little bit crazy. We can get a little bit unique depending on their their levels and their, their capabilities and where they've progressed to. And oftentimes, those really advanced variations, are they absolutely necessary? No, they're not absolutely necessary. If people just focus on the basic and mastering them, that would, that would do the job, generally speaking. But sometimes those really advanced, unique movements, they do a few things. First off, it can oftentimes expose issues that we may have not seen with something else. Like if we do a really difficult single leg exercise that maybe is offset in a certain way where we have load on more, uh, more on one side of the body than the other, it may expose a weakness in that particular side. 
of the body or that region of the hip or the ankle that we may have not seen with other things. But the other thing that I, I another reason I like to post some of these advanced exercises is it shows what's possible when you have mastered the foundations, when you have mastered the basics. It opens up all these doors. And like I tell people, the reason my clients and my athletes and, and even myself can do these kind of crazy uh, and wild and advanced stabilization drills that require a ton of of uh, coordination and a ton of precision is because we have spent so much time mastering the basics, even just a basic body weight squat, a basic goblet squat, a basic lunge. If you get those down, you become so uh, competent with those, you open up the doors and then any other movement that even closely resembles it, your body is capable of doing. That kind of movement in a nutshell is like, hey, if we master the basics, we can go play any sport we want. We can go run, we can kick, we can uh, throw, we can, we can cut, jump. And our bodies will be capable of it as long as we've mastered the basics. So that's one of the key things that I like to focus on. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> um, let's start with the easier ones, I guess. Um, best exercise people aren't doing? Ooh, best exercise people aren't doing. Ooh, I would say, well, I've just been recently using these a lot myself. Just an overhead power holder are really good at basically taking a heavy weight and holding it overhead for a you know 15 to 30 second period really simple everyone can do it uh, and it really strengthens just about every muscle in the body especially the core and the upper body and it produces a lot of good strength and, and muscle hypertrophy most overrated exercise Ooh, most overrated exercise Ooh, i would say the front squat i would say the front squat the front squat is uh, a lot of people will advocate that um saying that it's you know easier to do for me, it, for a lot of folks, it can be awkward if they've mastered the other squat variations. The front squat is not as necessary. Do I need to do cardio? Um, ooh, that's an interesting question. I would say it's not necessary, although it is beneficial to do it. If someone is training very intensely with their strength and conditioning uh, components, and a lot of my clients and a lot of athletes I work with, the training is pretty, it's pretty intense. We go at a pretty good pace. I don't think it's necessary to have to do a lot of additional cardio, provided that they're still physically active. What I mean by that is they still have to be moving throughout the day. And I always like to tell people to try to accumulate 30 minutes of walking every day. If everyone's strength trained intensely several days a week and they also walked 30 minutes every day, the need to do cardio probably wouldn't be quite as great. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it because it is very beneficial, but absolutely necessary, probably not. Can I wear jean shorts to the gym? Oh, um, if you, uh, you can, I wouldn't recommend it uh, on upper body days. Probably not a bad, uh, it probably wouldn't be a big deal, but you might get some unusual looks that could, that could throw off your confidence. You know, yeah, that confidence is a big thing. You don't want people looking at you like you're a freak. So <laughs> <laughs> this is, I like this one. You train a lot of athletes, most athletic person you've ever trained. Just somebody that you looked at and like, wow, that they are different. Oh, man, okay. Um, uh, Amir Abdullah, he's a uh, place for the Vikings. He's, that guy's a genetic freak. He's, I mean, you just watch him do any exercise. And it's like, wow, this guy is about 3% body fat. He's got incredible muscle control even before we started training. Um, yeah, I think he's kind of a genetic freak. And you can just tell right when they walk into the gym. Oh, right? yeah, totally, totally. There's certain indicators, certain certain telling signs for sure. How do you feel about bro scientists on social media? <laughs> well, me and the bro scientists, we, we have a, a, a love-hate relationship that I think on their end, what they feel is probably more of a hate than a love. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty uh, loving, caring guy. you know. At least I like to think so. But uh, <laughs> no, I usually don't hold uh, hard feelings or I don't like to disrespect people. But uh, they, they tend to be a little bit uh, overly zealous in their training methodologies and they, they like to rip other people's methods who are, are different than theirs and um, I think they, they tend to maybe get a little bit insecure as well um, if, if they feel I don't know maybe threatened or, or you know like you're, you're what what you're saying is you know kind of telling them that their methods aren't quite right and that my methods are better but you know <laughs> they, they tend to get a little bit of a chip on their shoulder so I don't mind them I think a lot of the the methods and and um, protocols they put out maybe aren't the best or, or beneficial for a lot of people, but 
At the same time, a lot of what we know in the field of kinesiology actually can stem back to bro science, like, you know, Arnold's things, which a lot of what he did was still pretty solid. So I, I can't rip on the bro guys too much. This this is assuming pre-COVID. Do yeah. I do I need to wipe down a machine if I don't sweat? Oh, man, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of guilty of this, but I, I would say yes. I think out of courtesy and just general gym etiquette, I think it is important, especially now, like you said before. Ooh, I'm probably guilty a few times of not doing it myself, um, but I'm a pretty big sweater, so once I start sweating, I, I definitely wipe it down. But nowadays, you got to. What, what do you think of the kind of thing that i see of the lifting every day fad is that a, is that a real thing because i remember growing up as like you work out once and then you wait a day yeah it's um you know i a lot of folks can't do that it's just not practical for their schedule so i don't always like to recommend that i, I think it is can be beneficial i personally do it because you know I pretty much live in the gym, so to speak. So I, I have the luxury of being able to train every day. It's not necessary. I think, you know, three times a week of, of working, working out and training hard will do the job. If you have the luxury of training five, six, seven days a week and you program it correctly and you're, you're providing uh, enough rest, you know, for certain movement patterns. That does, so basically you, you wouldn't want to crush the same muscle, the same movement patterns every single time with maximum weight. But if you if you have the luxury of being able to train every day, you can do it. And it can actually be very beneficial, but it has to be done right. So that, and technique and form have to be locked in because if it's not, you're setting yourself up for disaster with a lot of injuries. Strangest exercise you've ever seen someone do in a gym? Oh, man. Oh, shoot. I, oh, there was one on uh, <laughs> somebody posted on Instagram. Somebody brought in like a a sword, like a real sword, and they were on the elliptical machine and they were like swinging it around and, and doing like I mean, it looked like hardcore combat. They they were either training to be an extra in like Game of Thrones or they had some serious uh, anger issues that they wanted to take out. And I don't know, man. It was a little, it was a little freaky. I remember seeing it on Instagram. This was probably about three or four months ago. So that that was that was pretty crazy right there. Is is there like an age where you can see like oh people this is when somebody's going to physically decline? Like Ooh. is there an age where you can almost pinpoint it? Like thirty one, man, you're done. Yeah, it's. I would say there. It, it's it definitely ranges because you will see some some pretty unique. Um, uh, you know, some people can go into their fifties and sixties with bad form and get away with it. And you got some kids now that you're seeing even high schoolers or even middle schoolers actually start to get injuries. It's really weird that we're seeing so many injuries in young populations. So, you know, I think people would have said, you know, a decade or two ago, Oh, as soon as you hit, you know, your thirties or forties, you know, things really start to break down. I mean, that's still true, but it start, it can start to varying degrees as, as young as, 10, 11, 12 years old now, it's insane. But I would say, generally speaking, um, what I've seen with my athletes and populations and even in my own body, mid-20s. Once those kind of mid-20s hit, if you've been been training hard and you haven't been doing it right, things start to break down. It's exactly what happened with me. It's actually kind of was a blessing in disguise of what, was what kind of prompted me to, to go further in this field and do my own research. That's really all the questions I've got. What's coming up next for you? I know you've got a lot of things happening. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's an exciting time right now. Um, I've got some good uh, good uh, products on my website that I've worked a long time on. I have my book that came out um, not too long ago, a little over a year ago, uh, Movement Redefined. I literally spent eight years on that. It kind of represents my, my life's work when it comes to strength and conditioning because I've kind of documented everything that I've done over the last 17 years and all the research I did the last eight or nine years and it you know includes all my training methods and really everything that I do with my athletes and clients including the practical side of it as well as the, the science with hundreds and hundreds of studies to kind of support and, and explain why I do things the way I do them so that's that's a big one um, it's really been a big seller for, for me um, you know I got a lot of different athletes I work with uh, baseball season is winding up here so I'll get some of my baseball guys back and then you know there's a lot of I think right now the thing that I'm kind of interested with is we have a lot of injuries going on in the NFL. Fortunately, none of the guys that I've worked with, but I was saying this um, when COVID hit several, you know, uh, well, I guess months ago now, 
I was saying this to, to all my athletes and to really everyone I would have this discussion with is watch out when the NFL season and all these sports come back. There's going to be a lot, a lot of big injuries because guys were not prepared right. They took a lot of time off and then combined with a lot of the training methods that we see in, in these professional sports, which are, are subpar, um, in my opinion, um, it was just a recipe for disaster. So I think we're going to have a lot of guys that we got to, that we got to work on. Hopefully I'll be able to get my hands on some of these guys that got injuries and help them kind of rehab and get back to, to where they were and beyond with proper training methods. So I think a lot of the, the professionals in this field, um, and kinesiologists are going to have their work cut off in this next year with the, with all these injuries that we're seeing. All right. Last most important question. How much you bench? Oh, <laughs> man, I haven't, I mean, I haven't maxed out for so long. I, I guess the, um, oh man, over 200 pounds, let's put it that way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I, I rarely max out. If I can't do something with a good eccentric isometric hold and, and really be able to lock it in for good quality, I rarely touch it anymore just because the, the, the consequences are, are, they outweigh the benefits. Um, so I just don't even, I don't even do it, so. <laughs> I want to thank Dr. Seedman so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter and Instagram. And we have also included his information on the RSS feed that's on this podcast. He has a lot of really cool information. I mean, even if you're just checking out his Instagram, some of the exercises there, they just, they give you different ideas besides just hopping on an elliptical machine walking endlessly basically it's cool to kind of check out okay now let's go ahead and give john shaw a call what's up buddy first of all from a technological standpoint i'm surprised you were able to figure out how to do that did you have two phones going or how did you do that (laughs) <laughs> but before, are you are you kind of just, just a, a did, little bit thrown off? No, I'm not, I'm just physically angry. Like I started actually kind of shaking a little bit. <laughs> I was expecting to come back to the phone and have you just have a hung up on me. To be honest with you, I almost did. That's the first time I've ever thought of just stopping this podcast altogether. But then my <laughs> curiosity about okay, how did he do that? Did you play it through your phone while answering it, or did you have another computer like hooked up right there? Yeah, I, I had another uh, phone that I just, you know, click played and or playing. It worked, worked rather well, I think. It was pretty loud. No, no, from a technological standpoint and from a producing standpoint, that was pretty good. It's impressive. I mean, it was one of those things of like you did an excellent job of doing a terrible thing. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you you've chastise me for my terrible accents which i deserve so i figured i would just you know i couldn't find one that cut out nickelodeon so you got the nickelodeon in there with all the nicks and and the thing is speaking for everybody who's ever who's named nick like we've all heard that before we just tune it out as soon as we kind of hear like nickelodeon nick jr saint nick nicky like we just tune it out i don't even hear the rest of what the person is saying like once you get past the first syllable, my brain has checked out. <laughs> I'm I'm sure you've heard it plenty more times. I, I can I cannot not guarantee there won't be some Christmas themes coming up in future uh, episodes, but that's down the line. So speaking for every Nick as well, all of us always had to be Santa Claus. Like who's going to be Santa Claus? Who's going to hand out the presents to the family? Oh, how about you, Nick? How about I just sit here and enjoy it? Why do I have to do everything? <laughs> Probably because you you seem uh, like the most responsible person in the room most times. I think. Yeah, that's a burden and a lie as well. Um, look here. Here's my question for you: Are you a reminiscer? Yes, a hundred percent. Really? I'm like, a, I'm a storyteller. I'm a reminiscer. I'm a you know, you get me at a at a bar with you know six or seven high school buddies. It's going to be a long night. If you know what I mean. But you're basically not, you're just going to talk about all the old days the whole time. Yeah. I, you know, it's either two things, right? With like guys, I feel old times or like current sports. That's it. Man. Yeah. I would kind of, or women. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's pretty much all guys really talk about once they pass the age of 30. What they used to do, sports and women. And then, you know, you always have that one dick of the group who's like still in shape, right? And he's like, oh yeah, I'm having, you know, a truly because it only has four carbs and here you are. You know, you stuck down five beers in the course that he's, you know, drank one truly and you feel real bad about yourself. Well, and if you get really drunk, you might talk about God. There's going to be like, all right, we're seven beers into it. Let's see who's going to talk about God first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, nowadays it seems to be politics, you know, just because of the state of affairs. But Here's the more important question. Do you brush your teeth and then shower or shower and then brush your teeth? <laughs> uh, I have a question for you, and then I'll answer yours. Do you brush your teeth twice a day or once a day? Twice a day. Okay. I'm I'm only a, a once-a-day brusher, and my wife thinks it's disgusting. Yeah, it is. Why I, didn't you... I, I, I guess that's just the way I was... I was I, I did it since I've been a child, so I've never changed. Okay. I mean, usually when I found out I'm doing something the wrong way, I generally try <laughs> to change that. Like, oh, what do you mean the, you don't put the gasoline in the tire? I've been doing that since I was born. That's not... doesn't make it the right way to do it. I'm not saying that uh, that doing it twice a day isn't the right way. It's just not how I do it. Well, whether I'm right or wrong, I just I only do it once a day. Well, that's wrong. I, there's I, not I there's not a debate about it, right? Like if you put two plus two is three on a math quiz, it's not how you do it. It's the wrong answer. I'm really I'm not trying to debate with you. I'm just asking you the question. All right. Well, why do you do it the wrong way when you know it's the wrong way? Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't really have an answer to be, I for it, to be honest. Laziness. That's the answer. Laziness and stubbornness. It's probably, you're right. It's probably more laziness and stubbornness. Um, yeah, it's probably more laziness and stubbornness. It's it's at night. You know, I get up, I do it in the morning. I do it after I'm out of the shower. Uh, so after the shower, but yeah. Here's the other thing. We've talked about this on the podcast before. Like you've had to go through some dental issues. Yeah, I sure, I sure have. I, I haven't recently. Shout out to my wife uh, who made me uh, go fix my teeth. But um, yes, I have. So you think I would have learned? I do floss like every other day, if not every day. I, but I, 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 you know, I brush just once, not twice. Man, for people who don't know John personally and are just listening to this, wondering like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> this is basically everything in his life. There is a clear, correct decision to be made, and he is not going to make it out of laziness and stubbornness, no matter how many times he's proved wrong. You know, that might be uh, the, the most true thing you've ever said on this podcast, and my wife would agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Yeah, I just don't understand, like, why you wouldn't essentially make this assessment. Like, you know what? I just racked up $4,000 in dental bills. Maybe I should try this. Maybe I should try this whole brushing my teeth twice a day thing. <laughs> hey, you know, a couple, what, a month ago, three months ago, whatever, you you just were all about this toothbrush. So I'm considering getting the, uh, you know, automatic toothbrush or whatever it is, the battery-powered one. Ooh, Sonicare, man. No, because I've had an electric toothbrush before, and then I got the Sonicare and if you think you've brushed your teeth before, once you go to the Sonic Care, it's like holy crap! Like what was that? <laughs> it's like you've driven a Ford Pinto your whole life, or a Toyota Corolla, and then you jump in like a Mercedes. Like what the hell was I doing before? Not that expensive either. I think it's only like one hundred and ten dollars. Shout out to Sonic Care, <laughs> the official unofficial sponsor of this uh, week's episode. Yeah, it's a great toothbrush, man. I'd recommend it. <laughs> no, that's fantastic how how did so okay so the question was about me you know a person brushing their teeth before or after what is there any more to the to the question or is that just just, just one off there that's it all right are you a before or after now i feel like i have to know i'm a before person i like to try to get everything out of the way so i can just kind of finish like i'm out of the shower and then i'm done all right. Does that include uh, spending a little time with Mr. Jolly? No, I don't really do that in the shower. It's too much work, man. Like, I don't <laughs> like the 
Because then I get hot. I don't want to be hot in the shower. That's just, just too much effort on my part, honestly. It's just laziness. Finally, you we, we find something that you're lazy about. Right. Too lazy to do that. That's how you know you're giving up on life, basically. <laughs> that's how you pretty much know you're done. Are you I ready? Mean, that's how you started this podcast, you know, two years ago, right? Giving up on life, yeah. How do, how do I know that I've given up on life? Right. Well, there you go. Now you know. When you're too lazy to even entertain yourself, <laughs> you've given up. Um, all right, let's let's. Uh, what do you got? Let's 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 move it in the right direction. Let's give some shout outs to our social media superstars. All right, let's start with uh, Garrett, <laughs> Ronnie, Kevin, Cam, Patrick. Uh, that's separate, by the way. Cam and Patrick, uh, Tyson, Connor, Ruben, Jim, and Stephanie. Thanks for checking us out, uh, Profoundly Pointless. You know where to find us on social media. I'm not going to waste your time. Uh, all right, Nick, questions for you, my friend. Uh, the longest, uh, assuming you went to Blockbuster back in the day, which I assume you did, the longest you've ever kept a movie that you rented from there, if you still, maybe you still have one, but if you don't, what's the longest you remember renting a game or a movie from Blockbuster? I never go over date because I'm too cheap. Of course. Here I was expecting some great story, and of course it's like the most mundane answer. No, I would always bring it back on time, because I'm not paying an extra dollar twenty-five for something. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, that's pretty, that's about That's about as responsible as you can be, so so you're doing a great job there. Uh, when's the last time you used a payphone? Oh, high school, probably. Okay. I can actually remember it, because I jumped my mom's Buick totaled it and had to walk to a gas station to call somebody on a payphone. <laughs> that, that entire story, I feel like there's so much more to it, but that's, that's you in a nutshell. There's a lot. For anybody who's never actually jumped a car, if you've jumped a car, like it doesn't land the way that you think. Like You don't just... Look, that's 3,000 3, plus pounds coming out of the air. It does not land softly. It's like... <laughs> Holy shit, that's what that's like? Oh my god. I mean, what what what, what do you hit? You hit like just a hill in the road? Did you hit like a speed bump? Like what, what propelled you? Got that sucker up to about 90, man, on oh a dirt god. road, big hill, got it airborne. <laughs> Were you alone? Were there other people with you? Look, dude, I ain't no snitch. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? The moral of the story is uh, you survived... The car hopefully didn't. ended up being okay. And- no, it didn't. It did not. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, damaged beyond repair. Um, this was just a, just a question I was wondering, but when you're getting your blood drawn, are you the kind of person that like looks at the needle, or are you the kind of person that turns their head and uh, pretends it's not happening? What are you doing on a weekly basis? I do those questions that come up, and I, I might jog them down. I might not, and then I ask you because you know you're you're a worldly man. You're a traveler. I mean, I've had my blood drawn. I'm not going to stare at the needle and think, "Oh my God, that hurts." No, dude, I look away just like anybody else. But I don't specifically like purposely like look away. Like I gotta look away. I try to do what every guy does and play it cool, like it doesn't hurt, even though I'm dying <laughs> inside. <laughs> See, now we're getting somewhere. It's kind of like taking a Band-Aid off, right? Like, nobody really wants that pain, but you try to act tough anyways. Yeah, I don't wear Band-Aids, dude. I'm a grown <laughs> man. I don't need a Band-Aid. I bet you you've worn a Band-Aid in the last three months. Yeah, I think I have, but only because I got a cut, like, right in that place on your heel where your shoe rubs, and there's nothing you can do about it, and you have to put a Band-Aid on. Otherwise, again, it's just more laziness. Like, I'm not going to go buy a Band-Aid. <laughs> I I kind of know your wife. I'm pretty sure you have Band-Aids in your house. No, because I also have two four-year-olds who, ins- are not two four-year-olds, a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old who insist they need a Band-Aid for everything. <laughs> well, that's that's fair enough, too. That's, you know, my two-year-old threw a glass at my face uh, about four days ago and hit me right in the bridge of the nose. I thought she broke my nose. I w- good. <laughs> that's terrible but uh yeah anyways what kind of glass was it 
Uh, like a highball glass, like a whiskey glass. That's a pretty impressive that she could throw that that well. Well, I was I, I, I was on the uh, ground laying, and she stood over me and uh, just dropped it right on my nose. Oh, okay, so she didn't throw it, she dropped it. Yeah, but either way. Well, those hurt. are two different things. Can we just move on? No, I mean, you made, you left me with the impression that she, like, chucked it across the room. In reality, she just dropped it on your face. She's a two-year-old. She can't throw a highball glass. All right, so then you shouldn't have used the word throw, and you should have been dropped it from the very beginning. And also, who just refers to it as a highball glass? Uh, What do you call it? A glass? Okay. Well, I I was giving it some, some definition, some character. I'm just, here's the reason that I'm upset about it, is that I'm pretty, I'm going to go ahead and say there's a 90% chance that the description of a highball glass, if we looked that up and then compared it to the glass that was actually dropped, it's not the same thing at all. <laughs> you you could be right. I, I don't think you're right, but you know what? Let, let's see here. I'm, I'm going to look it up right now, and if you're right, I, I will say, Nick, you are correct. Okay. Uh, Nah, you know what? It, it was not a highball glass, but I'm not entirely sure. It's like right in the middle. No one cares. Can we just move on? No. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. Look, what happened? You you cut your fingers off. Your uncle cut your fist fingers off. Let's hear this story. But I want to hear it in 25 words or less. That counts as a word. My father-in-law cut two of his fingers on a miter saw. One had to be reattached. What was he like? I mean, obviously he was cutting something, but what was he? Was he trying to build something worthwhile? I, I still don't know. All I know is he's one of these, you know, quote unquote. I don't need to follow the safety procedures of a, of a miter saw. So instead of you know clamping down the piece of wood like you're supposed to do to make sure it doesn't move on you, he uses his hands right to guide it through the saw. And apparently the saw hit a uh, knot in the wood. Caused the wood to jar off, and, well, the, the blade found his fingers, his hand. Uh, do you know which two fingers he lost? Uh, left hand, I want to say it was middle and ring. Hmm, yeah, those are bad ones. Now, would you consider <laughs> this to be a foolish decision on his part? I, mean, I don't know if it's a foolish, it's it's definitely a judgment, like an error in judgment. I mean, mm. He's been doing this stuff all, all his life, I mean, and he just... You know, the saw got him this time. Thank God he saved his finger. So so you would agree that doing something in a way that goes against the best advice, even though you've been doing it all your <laughs> life, would be an error in judgment. Maybe akin to not brushing your teeth twice a day when you're supposed to do it twice a day. Uh, damn you. You know that? I should have known I was falling into that. Yeah. You're your father-in-law, dude. Wait till you cut all your hands off, and then you're sitting there with nothing to do. Oh, my God. Wow. All right. I am. I really just want to go, go to bed now and sleep for a week. Thank you for making me realize that. Yeah. Welcome to the club. <laughs> you're the same yep. person. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Well, can we, can we just move on to lighter topics, please? Yeah. I just wanted to point that out to you. Um, so our top five is top five things that kids... Kids in quotation marks, depending on how old you are. Top five things that kids today wouldn't understand. What's your number five? This was such a hard list to put together, for me at least. Um, my number five is having to actually wait for uh, you know, food or groceries or things like that. There is no quick online service you know, back when we were kids. If you wanted a Big Mac, you had to wait in the line at McDonald's. You couldn't order it on your phone and go up there and grab the bag and walk out. Wow, man. There's a lot of things that could have gone on this list, and I think that's probably one of the worst selections you've ever made. I mean, I don't know what the difference is. It's a little bit faster, but not significantly. You I mean, still have to I, do I it. I mean, It can save you 15 to a half an hour at some places. Okay, the the grocery store stuff, but I would say that's too recent, right? That's really in the last year that that's kind of taken off. So I got. I, I, mm. I would say at restaurants, I think Walmart and places like that, with grocery shopping, it's been going on for years. 
I mean, I'm pretty upset with your number five. At least I was pretty upset initially. I didn't even understand why I deserved to be on there. I think I think you're I think you're a few years too soon to say kids today wouldn't understand it. Right? I think that in like ten years you could make that statement and people would be like, Yeah, I remember having to go shopping and actually go into the store. I think you're too soon, man. I think you're jumping the gun on this one. I mean, listen, there's so many. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, what's your number five? I kind of went a little bit of a different direction. Um, being able to do something without someone taking your picture. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I that's a good one. I, I mean, fuck. I, I, I have something on my honorable mention that's kind of like that, like being at a sporting event or a concert where like nobody has their phones out recording it. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we, man, nobody would ever got all the stuff that we used to be able to get away with that they can't get away with now today at all. Like, I mean, I, I, you can make the argument that kids today have it a lot easier, but man, does that screw them over? Like that's got to suck. Just being at a bar, somebody always has, like you do anything stupid and at least five people captured it on their, on their phone. Even what, five, six, seven, eight years ago when we were storming the streets of Orlando? I mean, some of the stupid things, if they were, you know, if it was as prevalent as today in ter- terms of phones, everything's about likes and clicks now. Yeah. Man, that's rough for kids kids today. I'm sorry yeah, for that's... those guys. Man, that's tough. Uh, what's your number four? Uh, paper maps, like map books. Mm. I, had a, I had a job where you had, where you had to do a lot of traveling. So that's a little bit higher on my list. I actually had that as my number two, having to like okay. print something off. So I used to, for people who new to this podcast, like I used to be a reporter. You had to go all over the place. So that, like I had to do that a lot. And so that's a bigger struggle for me. So I had that as my number two, having to like print off a map or look at a map to find something. I mean, one of my greatest childhood memories is my father printing off MapQuest directions and then getting pissed off because they didn't, you know, have the current construction project on there. So we got stuck in construction anyways. Then he rips it up and throws it out the window and curses for an hour straight. How long were you stuck in construction? I mean, I was a kid. I, I probably probably an hour, hour to three hours. It's pretty long. Oh, yeah, that's a long time. That's all right. He, he I, was pissed. Yeah, he was. All right. That's justified, Papa Shaw. I understand that. <laughs> um... Man, my number four is, just because I'm not that old, but my family is that cheap. Like, I remember having to get up and walk to the TV to change the channel. Not because they didn't have remotes, but because my father was too cheap to buy a re- one a TV with a remote. I had to, like, walk <laughs> up there and press it. I mean, it, it taught you some good life lessons. I mean, mostly just buy a damn remote. Don't, <laughs> don't be the cheapest family on the block. <laughs> I mean, that's the point, right? You got some exercise. You probably didn't turn on anything you ever wanted to watch because your father was telling you what to turn on. Oh, yeah, dude. I had no control over the TV whatsoever. It was basically, <laughs> I mean, it was a one-station game. When you sat down to TV, there wasn't any there wasn't any change in the channels. That's for damn <laughs> sure. What's your, uh, what's your number three? Uh, having to actually make coffee. What do you do now? Uh, now we have one of those, uh, I don't know what they're called, Keurig, Keurigs, Keurig, yeah. You know, you put the little pouch in and it makes it for you. But aren't you still making the coffee? Like, you still have to go press the button, right? You still have to kind of... Yeah, but like, everything's automatic. You don't have to like, you know, you don't have to grind the beans and then, you know, make the coffee. Now you literally just put it in there, add some water, press a button, and oh, here's a cup of coffee. Okay. All right, my number three is uh, having to look up things in the phone book. Okay. Um, I didn't put that on my list just because I didn't use the phone book a lot growing up, but I think it's a good, it's a good number three. What'd you do? I, I, I just don't think I used a phone book a lot. I remember them coming to our house, and they would just go in the, like, our back room and stay there for years. You didn't have to like look up a friend's number for the first time? Probably, but not that I can remember. I, I had most of my friends' numbers memorized, man. Hmm. Can you still can you still say any of them? Old, oh, old landline phones. 
say I want to say there's one yes that I that I remember still. There's Yeah, I remember one. Uh Ryan Brennan 316-788-3252. But that's only because it's it's easy. Like 3252, everybody remembers that one. I want my room comped. <laughs> yeah. He never A <laughs> uh, quick story. Uh this guy we're talking about Ryan Brennan likes to drink, he likes to gamble. Once lost $800 on roulette and was too drunk to actually communicate anything other than saying, I want my room clomped over and over and over again as he was escorted out of the casino. Um, <laughs> what's oh, your man. What's your number two? Uh, so just like old media, like cassettes, VHS, you know, uh, Super Nintendo, things like that. Actually having to put a game like a, a disc or a, a cartridge into the player. Oh yeah, we had to go like blow off the cartridge and everything. We we had a bunch of people on social media said blowing in the game cartridges. And then like if if you didn't do it just right or like me, I'm a spitter when I when I uh when I when I blow on things. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh god, dang it! Uh, no, go anyways. on, dude. Go ahead and finish. I used to get it used to get like kind of waterlogged sometimes, and then you have to wait for it to dry. And then you're lucky if you know you didn't spit on the wrong thing, and it's just just wasn't wasn't very good. And I just totally ruined that because I can't stop laughing at myself. Could you not? I mean, did the amount of of saliva that you were projecting does it did it not get enough friction to get the job done? <laughs> there was almost too much. Like I would get so angry. I would be so mad that, you know, this object wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. So I would, I would, you know, spit on it as hard as I could and hope, hopefully, you know, get the job done. But it, a lot of times it just never did. I mean, I feel like there's a lot more jokes we could try to make there, but we also feel, we kind of covered it, right? Do we need to continue with? No, no, we, we should move on for okay. sure. Okay. All right. My number two, I already said it was printing off maps. Uh, and so my number one, uh, it's basically having to, to do research uh, by going to the library or, or reading a magazine or a book, not having everything at your fingertips via your phone or a computer or a tablet. I mean, you basically just did went through life not knowing shit. <laughs> right? You learned it, right? Yeah, but we've obviously all forgot it. <laughs> like, you I actually... Mean, you would just you'd be like, "Who's that actor?" And you would never be able to. You would just go through the rest of your life not knowing who they were because you couldn't just look it up, and you weren't walking to the library to try to figure it out. Yeah, right. Or, or you know, as it's been documented, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. Back then, when there was no internet or social media, like they could play their characters because you really didn't know if this guy was like dead or living. You know what I mean? But. Same thing with, with like Ozzy Osbourne and people like that. That's way before our time, but that's just an example. Like you don't know if they're fucking batshit crazy because he doesn't have a reality TV show yet. Yeah, you really didn't know you didn't know people very much. Not that really. There wasn't like this endless kind of consumption where you could find out everything in a moment's notice. People were much more of a mystery. I don't want to sound like an old man. Here we go. But I, I, I kinda miss those days where you actually if you really wanted to look somebody up, like you had to spend the time and effort. I say that, and then I also will be the first person, like, when I'm off the phone with you, I'm going to Google somebody. Yeah. I mean, basically so. what, what I've realized through this transition of being able to find out about people is there's very few nice people. Pretty much everybody's an asshole. <laughs> I mean, when Ellen DeGeneres is an asshole, I mean, come on. You could see that coming. She looked like an asshole. Uh, yeah, and listen, I I'm not trying to offend anyone who listens to this who is an Ellen fan, but yes. She definitely just looked like an asshole, and then it comes out she is an asshole. Yeah. And, Look, I, yeah. I'm a big believer that people are incredibly good at getting intuitive reactions of someone. And whatever you think about somebody in the first 10 to 15 seconds, you should give them a chance, but that initial impression is probably true. Somebody looks like an asshole, they're probably an asshole. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe we should rename the podcast to that. Well, I've always just wondered, like, does that person... All right. Does that person look like an asshole because they are an asshole? Like the very character of them somehow warped their out outward appearance? Or did they become an asshole because they looked like an asshole? Like which one came first? I, that's, 
I yeah. mean, when do you start to really look like an asshole when you're like 15, 16, 17? You can, I, th- I would say some five. I can look, <laughs> look, my son runs around the park. I can look at kids who are five and be like, that kid, that kid's going to be an asshole. You <laughs> see it right now. I mean, listen, how many people in your life said that about little Nick Vinzan? Probably a lot. And they're, that kid right there, he's going to be an asshole. But he'll have a history uh, degree, so it's all right. History and a journalism degree. Double major K-State, baby. <laughs> all right, my number one is basically just waiting. Waiting on the internet. Waiting to find things out. I mean, pretty much just waiting on the internet, honestly. Like, whatever kind of delays you experience now are nothing. I remember being at John Truex's house in the eighth grade, and he had dial-up AOL internet. And we clicked on a picture of a naked woman, and then had to, like, go outside and play a game of basketball. And then we came back in to see, like, the top half of her face. Then we went and played another game of basketball, came back in, and like, oh, my God, that's the first time I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I remember, you know, ordering a magazine subscription and waiting like a month for it to start, you know. Now they just send it like the next three days. It's just, everything's so instant, right? Instant gratification is what our uh, society is is now all about, so. What uh, magazine was that, Teen Beat? (laughs) Uh, WWF. I actually, I mean, that's another, I could have put that in the list. I used to subscribe to all kinds of magazines growing up. Sports Illustrated, the Nat Geos. Ooh, cultured. You know. What a cultured man. Um, <laughs> I, don't about, I don't know about that, but appreciate it. What's on your honorable mention? Uh, I mean, it's a lengthy list, but I'll spare you, um, except for a couple. Uh, I have Beepers. <laughs> What'd you say? Up internet. What was your first one? Sorry, I was laughing at uh, you. Beepers. Oh, yeah. I remember like one or two kids who were like the coolest in high school had a pager. <laughs> Uh, AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, for those who really don't know what it is. Uh, floppy disks, Beanie Babies, um, Walkmans, you know, actually having to use a landline phone to talk to your friends and or girlfriends or boyfriends. Don't you still, do you still have your landline? Yeah, man, my wife isn't giving it up. Yeah, I can see why. Um, what's on your honorable mention going to blockbuster uh only having four channels using a payphone blowing in game cartridges yeah that's pretty much it not i mean honestly having to carry cash yeah i mean i i don't carry cash anymore i haven't in years right so don't rob us. There's no point. Man, it must be real. It has to be a lot tougher for muggers these days. Like, you're not getting <laughs> anything anymore. You can mug somebody. They don't have any cash. You would think, right? Or even, like, armed robbers. Like, you can't rob a bank today and not be seen by at least 10 cameras. It's really been a detriment to the <laughs> relatively low-level criminal enterprises. But then... Uh... I wonder, right? Like, because we live in pretty progressive cities in terms of technology. Is that only like 10% of the country? Is the other 90% living where they don't have this stuff? They still run on dial-up, you know? Uh, I can tell you being from Kansas, the answer is kind of yes. (laughs) So really, these lists just pertain to everyone who lives, uh, you know, in the the high populated areas of America. In a city above 50,000, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you can go into some places in the country and, whoa, oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. Would love to hear your comments. What is something that kids today that just wouldn't understand? So John and I are in our 30s. I'd love to hear some stuff from people that like even we didn't realize. You know, like feeding the horse before you had to hook it to the carriage and head to market. 